from Brisbane, Queensland. Make some noise. This is Tim Schultz. She goes, look, I've got to level with you. You have a 50% chance of surviving this. You've got more than a 95% chance you're going to lose your leg. Here's a phone. You're going to get phone calls. Consider these your last phone calls. And that's when everything just went. Through my amateur career, I went Australian champion at one point. I was three and one as a professional, looking to fight in like Madison Square Garden soon enough with the PFL and then eventually move on to the UFCs. Next part of my career, I got offered a sponsorship over in Thailand to train at Bangtao MMA. So I'm packing up shop and I'm moving indefinitely to chase my dream with everything I've got. And Thailand was going to be the launch pad for the career. What happened? Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. Thanks for joining us on the, uh, the Restore to Explore podcast, Tim. It's a bit of a different chat than what we're used to. We're usually talking about people who have had uh, foot health problems of a different kind, but yeah, I guess... We connected through our local gym uh, way back when, before this story of yours evolved pretty dramatically. Uh, do you want to give everyone a bit of context as to who you are and uh, yeah, a bit about your story before what happened with, with your leg? A uh, bit of context. Well, I'm Tim. I'm 29 years old now. I moved to Brisbane when I was 21 and I moved up here to chase a dream as a mixed martial artist and I've been was hunting down that dream with everything I had up until uh, May 31st now. So we met in the sauna a year and a half, two years ago. And back then I was already using uh, the TSC products just to get healthier feet, more balance. Um, if anyone checks out any of my stuff, like I've, I've got quite good balance. I was a gymnast when I was younger, but I was also a mechanic who wore work boots, had pretty banged up feet and trying to restore my foot health so I could be the best athlete I could be and just feel better. And that's, that's kind of how my journey started with you guys. And then, yeah, I moved to Thailand to keep chasing my dream and kind of got cut short. And how, here we are. how close were you? I mean, can you sort of give us an idea of, yeah, you'd obviously been training for quite some time to get to this stage. You were... Yeah, I started training martial arts when I was seven years old. I had my first fight when I was 17. Um, you know, off and on training sort of thing. But when I moved up here, I was all in for it. And um, through my amateur career, I went very well, uh, like a Australian champion at one point. And then I was uh, three and one as a professional and was moving to Thailand with a, uh, a sponsorship to train at one of the very best gyms in the world and was looking to fight in like Madison Square Garden soon enough with the PFL and then eventually move on to the UFC. So, like, it was it was well underway. It was, yeah. People we've spoken to, to they they attest to that. You were pretty bloody good, uh, and Thailand was that that was going to be it. That was going to be the launch pad for the career. What happened? I moved there, so I sold everything I had, saved up, moved there. I was training there for a month, and I I think it was a combination of being run down as well as just bad luck. Like what I had, which was necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh-eating bacteria, it's just, it's unfortunate luck as well. Uh, a weakened immune system. Uh, and anyone who knows me in Thailand knows that I'm a, a very much a clean freak. I've, I've had staff before, so I had like a bit of a routine. Like I, I was very onto everything. Like I'd get out of the shower, I'd cover myself in soap, every part of me, then I'd rinse, but like I was very hygienic, I'd wash all my gear, but I had a uh, ingrown toenail. And well, when, when in Thailand, like you ride your scooters with thongs or Crocs on, but whether it was catching a bit of flood water in my toe or from somewhere else, I'm not sure. But um, I had that ingrown toenail and it was a Friday afternoon inspiring. I, uh, I kicked someone's elbow and I have fractured my shin before and I've kicked it and it left a mighty big bruise and that was on the Friday and on the Sunday like we the Saturday I went in I felt okay I just felt 
off, felt fractured like I have before. Sunday, I went to like a recovery center, like the sauna, ice bath, and just even trying to get on my scooter, like I was in immense pain. I felt dizzy, nothing seemed right. And after that, I went to the, um, the doctor. He gave me a cortisone injection as well, sent me home with some sleeping tablets. And I tried to sleep it all off, but I couldn't see, uh, sleep. Excuse me. I couldn't sleep. So the, one of my local friends there, who, who is Thai, um, a very good friend, he drove me to a local hospital. And the local hospital, I think we waited like six hours. And that's the, like the first, I guess, post of me sitting in a hallway of a busy hospital looking delirious because I was. They wanted to amputate straight away. And wasn't sure why. And we were like, oh, maybe we'll go get a second opinion. So then the next day we went to another hospital, like a, a larger hospital. And that was a hospital that I checked in and never left. So that was on the 23rd, I want to say. And I, I got back to Australia on the 31st. So like that time while I was in hospital was just a bit of a nightmare. What went through your mind when you heard that first diagnosis that they want to cut your, cut you your leg off? You just assume it's Thailand. Like, a lot of Thai people can't afford the, the hospital bill, bills that come with like the treatment. Like for me, it costs $15,000 each day that I was there. So you can imagine like no Thai person's going to afford that. Like, so they generally just chop things off. So that, that's what I thought it was. Like, all right, we'll go to another hospital, a bigger hospital, more reputable. Still wasn't that fantastic, but see what happens there. And then, yeah, as the story unfolds. So you're sitting in this hospital bed and when was the first time you actually knew what was going on with? First time that I knew what it was, wasn't until a day before I left. Wow. The night before I left. Uh, when uh, Dr. Mo came in and he was like, hey, you've got necrotizing fasciitis. They've been treating you incorrectly. By this point, I've got a hole from the top of my shin to the bottom of my foot. So. When I first went in there, it looked like staph, which was, uh, it was uh, strep A, and then that's triggered and caused the necrotizing fasciitis. But originally they cut a hole in my shin where the bruise was, because that's where a lot of the pus had accumulated. So the idea was cut a hole there, try to drain it from the top of my foot down at the bottom, because my foot was swollen up like a football. And it had gone black at the tips. So those black bits were decaying skin, which I didn't know at the time. And I think it was two or three days into that hospital visit, they went to wipe it. it Might've been like two, two days. They wiped it and the skin just fell off. It was kind of like, I, I think I, I may have tried to, I always try to see the best in things. So I was kind of just putting it in the back of my head, like that's gonna be okay. And the whole time I, I did believe I was gonna be okay. It's just my attitude towards things. But um, so that happened and then they said, right, we want to put you in for surgery and then we're going to put two incisions in the top of your foot and that way we can drain it. I woke up halfway through that surgery to feel them pulling the flesh between my toes and a gaping hole on the top of my foot. And then they put me back under. Once I woke up, I woke up very groggy from the whole thing. And then, yeah, there was a, all of the top of my foot was missing. And that was kind of a very oh shit moment. You've shown me the photos and videos. Um, we probably won't be able to share a lot of that with, with people listening and watching, but you being awake and having to see what was going on, it's graphic. It's like something out of like a zombie film or, you know, The Walking Dead. Your leg was just ripped apart. What was your reaction when you woke up in the middle of all of that? Um, it's hard to really say. It's, I've never really been scared of much, uh, but like one of my fears all through my life for whatever reason has been waking up through surgery, even from a young kid. And just to wake up through it was like, oh, well, this is happening. And that, Could you believe what you were saying? Like, no, it was, it was very, very strange. Like, when, when I woke up through the surgery, I didn't see my foot. I had a tarp over me. I had a nurse just to the left of me and the two doctors down the bottom. And I've told her like, hey, I'm awake. And she's looked at me and looked at the doctor and been like, so she ran over, grabbed the needle, plunged that into me. And 
I popped those off went. again, yeah. But then waking up was like, yeah. And then the whole time you're in there, like they're doing these debridements, they're moving flesh around. Like I showed you some of the photo of where they like lifted skin up to then cut it off. It's, I don't think anyone should be able to witness that. Like, like there's, in Australia, you're never going to be awake to witness what they did. Yeah, yeah. And then like you go in there, so, so there was my, my ward, so originally I was in like a sort of a group area until they realized like, oh, you know, this is very bad. We'll move him to a separate place. I remember I'd get wheeled out into like the main area. You'd go past everyone else, giant hole in your leg. They just wheel you past everyone and they put you in this other room. And I remember like I used to dread going to these doors because I'd have to go there once, twice a day. And that's where like the most pain would happen. So like they would lift it up, they'd be cutting away or they'd pack it. So your skin, your skin's quite thick. Like uh, we all hear it, but until you see it, you're like, oh, wow, my skin is that thick. And they would lift it up and then wipe in underneath your skin. Yeah. And like, you feel that, you feel it. Yeah. And I'd be on this table and the room would be cold and there'd be nurses and that around and they're telling jokes to each other or like, you know, they're not, not exactly appropriate things as well. Yeah. And you're sitting there like, can I just have some painkillers, please? Like, you get paracetamol. You, you don't get anything else. <laughs> it's was there a point, I'm probably sure there was, but was there a point in this week where you're sitting in this hospital bed and this is all going on that you were like, am I going to get out of here? A couple times. Um, but like a lot of that's out of my control. And um, through life experiences and, you know, I guess life experiences, uh, I've learned not to stress on things that I can't control. Uh, like, uh, I think that's, you know, through learning to deal with depression and everything as a young man coming up, like that, that's part of my way of dealing with a lot of things. Like if you can control it, do something about it, don't complain. If you can't, why complain? All that's complaining is going to do is make the situation worse. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, people tell you good luck. And it's like, don't tell me good luck. Tell everyone else good luck. Like, they're doing <laughs> the work. But, but yeah, th there was a few points where you'd sort of, and it, w it was those times when I would be looking at it. Like, other times I'd be in bed, like, kind of delirious through fever and whatnot. Or, like, I, I was very fortunate that um, I made a lot of good friends while I was over there. Like, that, that was my home for the time. So, like, I, I was very much a part of that gym and they had a lot of people like who would come visit me and they were, like, it was still a good 45 minute trip from the gym but people would be there to visit me like I had local Thai friends like I, I had other fighter friends I had the coaches everyone like there was always someone trying to be there, there was, yeah very little time where I was alone were you in contact with people back home and I was but it it was really hard to write yeah. So I'd only get a couple of hours sleep a night and I could only stomach like half a tub of yogurt a day. So I, I think I lost 10 kilo in that, I think it was eight, nine days. So it, it was quite rough. It felt like I was like cutting weight for a fight. And then through that, you, you're delirious. I was trying to, this, this is why my friend Matt Lee took over my Instagram because I was trying to write to people or try to give people an update, but I just couldn't. So my way of updating was like, I'd send a voice memo to Matt. He would then decipher my ramblings and then post on my behalf. I, I, I couldn't, couldn't work social media. Mm. Like, yeah. And so you're in the hospital bed, you're somehow trying to stay in contact with back home. And when did it become apparent that you obviously needed to get home. Like, how did it progress from you leaving that Thai hospital? It was it was pretty soon. I think maybe, basically, when the top of my foot was missing it was like a, oh crap, and the fifteen thousand dollars a day that it cost was, like, obviously this is not sustainable. Like, I need to get back Bad home. Yeah. And um, one of my very good friends, Jason, excuse me, he was. Um, I've been friends with him for a long time and it, it, he's a man that I look up to. He's also a man who kind of looks after me because I'm a, you know, fighter. We have a different extreme mentality sort of thing. So he, he generally keeps me in check as well. 
And he was uh, on the phone to me and was like, yeah, like we really need to get you home. Like what? I, didn't, I didn't understand the amount that was going on behind the scenes at home. But he was one of the guys who kind of helped spearhead the whole thing. And he was like, yeah, look, we need to get you home. Because part of the problem, people who know me beforehand know how much I love that lifestyle of Thailand, training every day. There was a worry that I didn't want to come home, even with this, which is incorrect because like, <laughs> like I saw this and I was like, get me the hell out of yeah. here. But like, that's, that was part of the worry is I was like, oh, we've got to try to talk to him out of leaving. I was like, no, just get me home. No like, convincing me. Yeah, no, I was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so yeah, then that all happened behind the scenes. I was not aware of what was happening behind the scenes. So now that was, I know. What was happening? What were they doing? Uh, raising a lot of money to help pay for the medical bills, to help pay for the flights. The Thai doctor who was treating me said that I needed someone who was uh, medically trained to come get me. So we had a paramedic, paramedic Pete, who was a good friend on the local scene. He was coming over and then by chance, Dr. Mo also turned up on the last night who did save my life because they were treating me incorrectly. If I had a flown, would have gone into shock. And that was all she wrote. So he came along, got the right antibiotics, put me on the plane. We had two drips hanging out of me to get onto the plane. So, so just before we, before we get to that episode, because that's a fascinating chapter of all of this in itself, where did Dr. Mo come from? Who is he and, and how did he, he come um, on the scene? He, he's a very like, high up doctor. Um, he did special retrievalist medicine for a bit as well and he works over in Perth, but he's also an MMA fighter. So he fought on the local scene a while ago and then he was over in Thailand training. And it just happened to be my luck that a doctor who knew about me was over there at the time. Like that was just, yeah. Did he hear from social media, did he? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, like my coaches over in, like uh, the Hickman brothers are very worldwide known. Like if you're in the MMA community, like everyone knows who they are. So Bang Tao, as well as those guys were helping share everything and like all the other coaches and whatnot. So word got out far and wide and he, fortunately he was one of the people who saw it and happened to be in Thailand. So part of the fundraiser was, cause I couldn't, it was going to be $155,000 to get a uh, Medivac flight home, which like, so I, I did have insurance, but there was a 10 day cooling off period and I went in on day nine and then they voided it. Like part of the photos that I was going through earlier, like one of them was my insurance, but day nine, if they can save themselves 155. Yeah, they will. That's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, we had to pay for all the first class flights because I couldn't get my feet below uh, my waist. Like that was, was, seemed to be one of the things with what was happening it was like this insane pain. Mm. So. All the first class flights, I had to pay for all the medical bills, which is $15,000 a day over the eight days or so, or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I'm very fortunate that uh, I know a lot of people and that I am a good person. Like, yeah. like thankfully, one of, <laughs> I, I made a decision about five years ago, it was like every day that I wake up, I try to be the best person I can be, try to help out as much as possible, and it just so happens that paid off <laughs> big time yeah so how, fortunately a lot of people yeah how much money do they raise it's like it's a pretty quick turnaround to try and get that kind of cash to you because i'm guessing it's not the sort of situation over there where they'll take an iou and <laughs> no not at, so that was one of the things um i i saved up a a fair chunk of money to move over there with enough that i could live for a year year and a half without having to do anything obviously the plan was to fight to top that up and then you know more money comes in Thailand's pretty cheap to live, but the hospital bills are not. <laughs> um, the first day, that was all gone. Oof. So like, I've got to pay for the hospital before the big one, the trips to that hospital, the hospital fees at that hospital. Then they wanted x-rays, they wanted MRIs, they wanted all this other thing, and all of it cost money. Mm. And the second day came around and I was like, oh, I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, very, very quick. Uh, like you can live in Thailand if you're smart for like 10 grand a year if you're smart, yeah. if you know the right people as well. And that was gone in a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, more than that. Yeah. So the second day I was like, cool, I'm like Matt, can I please borrow some money? Like I'm in <laughs> yeah. some trouble. And then from that, I had another friend who was like, you need to start like a GoFundMe or something. And they helped me do it, got the word out. And I can't remember the exact number it was raised, but I think it was around like 140, $150,000. Wow. And that, 
Yeah, most of it just yeah, evaporated. Yeah, well, the, I had one day where I was like, I, I can't pay for this treatment right now, but I can pay for it at six o'clock this afternoon. And they were like, just eyeballing, yeah, like they were ready course. to kick me out of the hospital. Like you're paying for it, because all the MRIs, the x-rays, everything had to be done at a different hospital. So you then got to pay for the ambulance, the staff, everyone to get you over there, the staff at the other hospital to then run you through the MRI, the MRI itself, the ambulance ride back, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it very quickly adds up. Yeah, yeah very sure. quickly. And then you couldn't get a medivac, so you had to get a first class flight. Did they know what we, was going on when you jumped on that flight, the, the flight attendants and the staff? You know, <laughs> probably not. So we, um, we dressed it up. So I had a uh, long elephant pants on, very tie style, and then wrapped it up to make it look like a broken leg. So then I'd be nursing that the whole time. And like, I've got a gaping hole in my leg and then Flesh eating disease. Yeah, so I'm pulling on this thing, like the pants, because you sit in hospital for that long, you lose some flexibility. Yeah, of course. Like, I, I'm pretty flexible sort of thing, but like it goes, and a lot of muscle wastage. So I can't hold on to my leg up here in the, um, the wheelchair. So I'm hanging on to the pants, which is then pulling on this gaping hole on the other side. And I've got two IV lines hanging out my arms, because if I go into shock in the air, Mo needs to pump me full of fluids to keep me alive. Um, and we go through the gates, happy days we get through, but we've also got a bag that has sharps, like needles, um, antibiotics, like different solutions and everything that Mo knows everything about. And Pete had to walk through with that. So, and technically you shouldn't probably be oh, taking that on He got pulled up, so he got red flagged. Um, and I can't remember, it might be for life that he's like red flagged. <laughs> so we, we spent about 10 minutes of them just like going through this, looking at me, looking at Mo, looking at Pete, and they're like, what are you doing? And you're barely probably conscious this whole time. At this point, I feel pretty good. You're all right. Um, because I, I was relieved. Yeah. Like it was, um, the last day I was there was very emotional for me. So like everything's all said and done. Mo's come in at 8.30 the night before, had a very long chat to me, like, look, your life is really in danger here. Like, when you contract this disease, one in four people die. Like, as soon as you can contract it. Like, thankfully I'm fit and healthy. <laughs> like, the, the rate that, the percentage of loss of limb is very, very high. So, a lot of people around me are quite emotional and I, like, I'm kind of sitting there going, why is everyone like Not this? Not understanding the yeah, gravity of it all. Like, yeah. Come on, like it's me. Like I've brushed death before, guys. Right. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm chill. And like my, some of my friends are crying and whatnot. And there's like, there's 12, 15 people there all like saying goodbye and everything. So yeah, in, in the taxi we go, off we pop, get to the airport, go through. And I'm feeling pretty good at this point. Like, oh, I've got the right antibiotics finally. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm getting out of here. I'm going back to Australia. Everything's going to be good. I've just put it into the back of my head that I might die on this flight sort of thing. I'm just like, yeah, cool. You know, we're on the go. Yeah. Like I'm Homeward bound. Yeah. So go through, get onto the plane. And from my understanding, when you're on the plane, you're then the pilot's responsibility. So the mission was just get on the plane. And then we got on. Once we're airborne, Mo's like, radio, IV time, hanging that up, pump it. And the air hostess comes over and was like, oh, would you like me to hold that for you? She's no like, way. Very accommodating. <laughs> but that was the first decent sleep I had since the whole thing started. So on there, had a Valium, out. Slept the whole flight. That was, it, yeah, the best I felt the whole trip. So we've landed, got to Brisbane Airport, and there was meant to be an ambulance waiting, but there was a kerfuffle. No. Apparently they didn't believe we had necrotizing fasciitis. <laughs> like it's a very rare thing. Get there, no ambos coming. Thankfully, uh, Pete, who was a paramedic, like was ringing them up and was like, "Look, we need to have someone here. Like if we weren't here, there'd be a lights-on type thing. Like you guys should be here." I said, "Oh, we've got one paramedic who's got one driver. If they've got one driver, then I'll let on site. But thankfully, I've got a paramedic and a doctor. So it's like, all right, he rocked up." One of them sat in the front, the other one sat with me. We get to the hospital and like, we're just waiting in line. Like I'm still, I'm sitting out in the sun. I'm in pretty good spirits. You know, like oh, a bit of sunshine. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm in Australia. I'm good, I'm saved. And we're sitting in line and Mo's kind of like pacing back and forth. He's starting to get a bit like, you know, every minute counts. Like we've already been delayed here. We've been delayed here. 
we get inside to the foyer, so there's like the outside bit where the Ambos drop you off, there's an automatic door and another one, so you've got like a holding bay. Yeah. We get into this holding bay, and there's another paramedic, like, and they're chatting back and forth, and they're, oh, what's wrong with him? And Mo goes, oh, necrotizing fasciitis. And the guy's like, nah, surely not. Mo just goes, flicks through, there's a photo. And the guy's looking at me like, no way. He goes, get up the front and show triage yeah. now. So they just take the phone up and go, this guy's got this, like every minute counts. And the nurses looked at it and just looked at me and looked at this and her jaws just dropped. They're like, a good 10 seconds, she's just looking back and forth and they're like, well, get him up here. So they wheel me up. I'm next to another person on a wheelchair who's got a broken leg or something. And like, she's going, yep, details, da, 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 push me out the back. And I'm in the hallway all of five, 10 seconds. And this surgeon, I didn't know she was a surgeon at the time. Now I know it's Liz who saved my life just comes screaming around the corner, like looks like she skidded around the corner and was like, where's the neck fashion? I was like, yep, <laughs> me, still pretty cheery. She's like, we've already got a theater being prepped, da, 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 into this room you go. And it went from like pretty quiet to then I've got like one, two, three, four, five, maybe eight doctors around me. And they're like, all right, cool. We need to get these pants off. And they're like, oh, how do we get them off? These legs too sore. And I was like, just, just cut rip the them pants. Off. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't care. Yeah. Cut those off. And like, I'm still pretty cheery. Like, I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, this is just what's happening. And then she goes, look, I got to level with you. You have a 50% chance of surviving this. And that's when everything just went. Like, yeah, wow. like I, I was pretty good the whole time. And then that happened. And I was like whoa she goes all right we've got to have you in get an x-ray see if it's like damaged the bone if it's inside the bone etc etc i go in for the x-ray so i've left my room got wheeled around and there's like a small waiting area that's for the x-ray there's no one in this waiting room and it's like it's a very sobering feeling and she comes out and goes here's a phone you're going to get phone calls consider these your last phone calls Jeez! Like, so I had a chat to my parents. I had a chat to my mate Matt Lee. And um, yeah, weird, weird feeling. Um, I think that's 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 definitely one of the points that would stand out to me. And I, I guess moving forward, like uh, as a person, that that will stick with you. Uh, it, that's that is my sobering reminder, like to make sure every day is, you know, a good day. I get a second chance, you know, but um, yeah. So from that, the other, it was like, all right, cool. You got a 50% chance of surviving. You got more than 95% chance you're gonna lose your leg. So you've then got to think. 95% chance of losing your 95 leg. 95 plus, like that, that's, that's a moderate, modest. Um, and my whole thing, like I was a gymnast, I was a parkour free running athlete for like six years, like uh, mixed martial artist, outdoor rec guide. I've always been physical, like I, I love moving and I, I swear I never took any day for granted. Uh, like my, my movement is something that I hold close. That's, that's one thing that makes me happy. So then like having this, I, the whole dying thing doesn't faze me too much, but it was the- um, Living without being able to live the life yeah, you want to be able yeah. to live. And um, like after spending that long in hospital, so I was there six, seven weeks as well. Like you, you get a, a bit of a wake up call as well after when you see a, this. Look, I went through some crap, but there, there's people going through a lot worse. Like uh, I, I saw a gentleman there who had one leg. Like after everything, everything else got amputated. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, like at the time, like, and it's all, it's all relative, right? Like someone may live the best life in the world and so they lose their car. It might seem like the most devastating thing in the world. Someone living a very bad life, you know, terrible things happen. It might seem the same, but at, at the time for me, like it, it was, uh, yeah, a nightmare. Now I realize like, you know, there's other things to live for, but. But still, I mean. Yeah, that, you, it still I'm, takes its toll for well, sure. Well, I can imagine you're picturing this life that you were building in Thailand and the dream of so that's, that's being the on big the UFC stage. Yeah. And then it just, so just I, I, I worked for that goal as long as I possibly could. Mm. Like I, I didn't go to birthday parties. I didn't go out drinking. I was in bed, you know, like I, I can't 
tell you the amount of times that I've said no to going and celebrating things with friends. Um, relationships that I've lost because I had to put martial arts and training first and then to have it all, like it, it feels like you're standing on a rug and someone just sweeps it out, like gone. Like your whole life tracked towards this one thing and then it's just gone. That was the big, the big penny drop. And it wasn't until a week after being in an Australian hospital. So I woke up, I was fortunate enough to still have my leg. Um, when I woke up, I was on ketamine, codeine, morphine, some other thing, and a pick line that would also give me drugs, as well as other drugs that I could take orally. So you're pretty whacked out. When I woke up, it was the first abridement, then I had another surgery, which then was the uh, vacuum dressing, which I showed you a photo of, and that's all the black on my leg. So that was to cut away anything that could possibly be infected. And then they would put a seal over it. Uh, I can't remember, like the aluminium foil type substance, and they would have a line from the top to the bottom that would constantly be flushing it out. And that was to try clear any debris or anything in there, any old flesh, bacteria, what have you. When they did that debridement, it cuts it down to your nerve endings. So it's this whole thing, like there's no pain that I've ever felt like it. Like I, I've been covered in fuel and flames when I was 20 years old before I moved up here. That was like my first life-changing event. Um, I thought that hurt. Um, I've, you know cage fought in a cage I've fought boxing like I've experienced pain I'm quite comfortable never have I dealt with anything like that like yeah so that happened because of the pain that I felt in Thailand the pain doctors explained to me that my nervous system was upregulated so while this vac dressing is on my nervous system is upregulated I feel this incredible amount of pain and I had a pain episode where like they would put, get, gave me laughing gas, it wasn't doing it. I ended up having like a fit, vomiting, choking on my own vomit, seeing white, blanking out, waking up in my room. And, and my little brother was there um, through it. And like, like I, I don't get to, I see him maybe once a year. Like I, I don't talk to anyone else. But he, he was there when I, I had my accident with the fuel and flames as well, which is a story in itself. <laughs> And um, he was there for this one, and he said himself, like, it, it changes you as a human being watching that. Just witnessing it. I yeah. can imagine. This is like, Seeing someone you love just, and you're helpless to... Yeah, and, like, I'm not the type of person to, like, get emotional or cry or, you know, like, pain doesn't really bother me, and I was having this just episode. I can't imagine, man. Like, yeah, hard to explain. Oof. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so from there, um, I woke back up. So they were, they were trying to get me down to give me a nerve block so they could take away some of the pain. While I've been taken down is when I've like vomited, choked, saw white, woke up in my own room. But the benefit of passing out was they could up my medication. So I was in on double. Like nurses would come in and look at it and be like, oh, let's have a look at this. Whoa. Like, you're on that much. That week of that high of medication was probably the best week. Because you don't think yeah, about... You detach from it all. Yeah. yeah, and you don't have to think about what your future is and everything. And it was a Wednesday morning, uh, 10 o'clock, that they came in. So they do their first rounds in the morning, and then the doctors will come in and start weaning you off everything. So they've been weaning me off over the three days prior... And then that last Wednesday, they took the ketamine away. And by about two, three o'clock that afternoon, like the, the penny dropped for me. And I remember like I was laying in bed and I've looked at my leg and it's just like, oh, this is it now. Like this, this is my leg, this is life. And you know, like that 10, 11 years of chasing that goal every day, that's when it all settled. Mm. Yeah, that, that was hard. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health, but if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, 
that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five F's for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. So from there, uh, I had a chat with the doctors and then it was, um, which way do you want to go? Would you like to go skin grass? Would you like to go BTM, which is a biotemporizing matrix? So a synthetic layer of skin. And the idea of that, so skin graft will only take to other skin. So if there's not much skin there, you're just going to have this sort of cover, not really like a skin. So this biotemporizing matrix, they put it on and some of your skin or what can grow through will grow through and attach to it. That way in four weeks, when they do the skin graft, which was taken from up here, will attach a lot better. And that's why it has taken a pretty good job up here but down here there's still a little bit that hasn't that's the bit that hasn't taken very well so that'll be like a lot more thicker scarring so it's just harder to manage like when you're moving around a joint like it doesn't have as much stretch mm -hmm. so yeah we had four weeks on the btm and then july 7th i believe it was i went in and got my skin graft which is a whole different level of pain in <laughs> itself like i was told prior they're like oh you know like it's gonna hurt like it, like it's really gonna hurt. And you've thought, well, I've had pain already, so yeah, bring it. <laughs> it's exactly what I thought. Nope, didn't expect that coming. Like, yeah, wow. Yeah, so this, because they cut it again down to the nerve endings, it's just exposed the whole time. And I remember it was mainly the first bath. So I'm pretty sure it was a Thursday that I went in and on a Sunday I had my first bath. And they come in and they bring you that laughing gas and you're like, as soon as you bring that in, you're like, you know something's up. Like, <laughs> and they bring like a forklift in that has a bed on it. And they load you onto that. And they're like, start sucking. Like now. And they bring you in and there's this giant steel tub. It's got some pretty hot water in it. And like it's full of, you know, soap and whatnot. So at this point, they're like, like, go for it. Like, you really need to go for it. And they've peeled it off and they start oh. scrubbing. And like, it still stings. And you're like, all right, cool. As long as I just stay on this. They get you back to the room and it's like, all right, take that away. And you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> and like immediately, like the pain, your eyes start watering and you just, you just don't want to be in that situation yeah. like at all. And you're like, please, can I please have some more painkillers? Yeah. And then from there, you can't move your foot for a week. So the graft will take better. Um, that, like hard hard not moving. Mm. Um, I, thankfully, I, like I had a um, Kelsey who would always visit me and like she'd bring me food every night and everything. So that was, that was awesome. Um, my friends brought me a Nintendo Switch, helped pass the time as well. Yeah, but still. Yeah. And then what are the doctors saying? So what's, what's sort of the prognosis from there? You've got some skin back on your leg. Uh, how long? were they saying the recovery would be and, and what's the journey been from there? So that all happened just coming up on the three month mark. So the scar will hit its peak maturity at six months. So when you get to that point, it's then very hard to increase any range of motion. Kind of what you have there is what you'll coast with. Uh, the scar will finish maturing at two years. So that's when you can get tattoos, it'll be robust, everything like that. Um, at the moment, if a dog headbutts my shin, it cuts open because it's, I've lost my muscle fascia, um, skin fascia, everything like that. It had to be grafted to the muscle. So if I move my calf, you see the skin move with it. So where everything else has got that bit of you know, movement in it. Um, where it is now, I'm doing very well. 
uh, trying to drink three liters of water a day or like a lot of protein. Uh, there's, there has been complications in that my body is, like it's always been pretty quick at healing. With something like this, it's not that great. So the scarring can thicken quite quickly. So like on the tip of my feet, I've got like these knobs from where the staples were. Generally, those don't stick around, but because my body just, just lays down collagen very rapidly, it gets thicker. I lose a lot of movement in my toes. I lose a lot of inversion for my ankle. Um, dorsiflexion gets hard because of the scarring on the end. It's just time, lots of, lots of scar massage. So like um, collagen will lay down in a crossed manner. So like if you think we bend our elbow, the collagen fibers will move and stretch, whereas the scar will not. So we've got to massage it to try flatten it and then try stretch it. So got, I, I always stretch muscles. Um, I'd say I stretch for about 40 minutes to an hour a day, just being like a very fast moving athlete, you get very tight. I've never had to stretch skin. It's, it's a different pain. Mm. Uh, it, it is getting better now, but that first month and a half, two months, it just sucks. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's starting to feel better in this last week or so. And then, yeah, it's just try to look after it as long as I can. As far as a donor site, um, more susceptible to skin cancers and stuff. Obviously the scar itself, lifelong management, um, moisturize three four times a day scar massage yeah just a lot of work but and i hate to ask this question but in terms of fighting again is it off the table yeah it's i had a chat with uh, one of the surgeons that was on the team that did it and like you, you develop a little bit of relationship after a while so like they, they like to kid they like to joke also very morbid people surgeons like they deal with death <laughs> But one of the uh, nurses was in there and was like, well, can he fight again? And I went, yeah, can I fight again? He's like, yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, oh, cool. And he's like, she'll be back here straight after. Yeah. So if I, yeah, the dog had bite me, it's split. I dropped a broom handle on it, it's split. Because it's on the bone, any movement, Just it has to, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. So uh, boxing could be there, but it's, I'm, I'm 29. Uh, your peak usually is between, say, 28, 34. Um, and my idea was to be in the, the best place I could be for my peak and then move on from there. Like the, even the level of cardio that you have to have to do that sport is, yeah, it's pretty, it takes a long time to achieve. So then the argument is like, all right, if you haven't got the cardio, you've got to have to train to get fitness back then you're sacrificing skill acquisition. Uh, this sport moves very quickly. Um, you have to be very up to date, on otherwise, yeah. yeah, you're gonna get schooled. So if you're spending all that time working on cardio rather than skill development, then I've got to drop the weight again. But then if my only option is boxing, it's very head trauma focused as well. I'm like, all right, what am I gonna fight for? Like, like I might have an exhibition fight just for the fun of it because you know, I, I like, I'm a very competitive person, but as far as competing at that level, like, uh, yeah, I just don't think it's that feasible. I mean, it's, it's hard to have as a consolation, but I don't think you're going to get a bigger fight than the one you've just been through, really. Yeah, I, well, fortunately, like, the mental challenges of competing at you know, the highest level of arguably the hardest sport kind of did a good job preparing me for all of this like you through fighting you become very emotionally intelligent like if you let your emotions control you're in there like you're as good as gone so having that skill set before all this definitely helps do you think what you've been through as well and like I hate to bring it back to the feet but do you think it's given you a newfound respect for obviously trying to re rehab and, and recover this this foot and leg just just how important that foundation is and how much we take it for granted um i think that i already had that respect um like as i mentioned like uh, like this is perform 360 and like they've done a really good job of changing the way my body works like i was in chronic pain for a long time like i've got 
fused ribs. I've got problems with my TFL that moved my hip socket out of its joint. Like I had a lot of problems from you know high level competition for a long time without looking after my body. And part of coming in here was like, all right, let's get my body moving correctly. And like a lot of what I do is balance. So the guys here a while ago brought me onto like, hey, we got to fix your feet. Like that's that's the base for everything. And you know, spending so long in work boots every day as well. You know, you run 5K every day, then you go to work and you work in work boots, which compress your feet, which there's not natural base. Like it's not good for you. And then you got to go try compete. It's, it's a lot to put on your feet. But once I started to wear my toe socks everywhere, you know, for the first bit, like you kind of cruising around with toe socks on, it looks a bit, yeah. put toe socks on and put a sock over it. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that was what I did. And I, I wore them all the time. And like, before this, like I was very proud of my feet. Like you can ask people in Thailand, like <laughs> I would be the guy who preaches like, no, 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 fix your feet. Like, trust me. And yeah, once I did fix my feet, like I've got really good balance. Mm. So I, I never took it for granted. Like I, I can do some cool things with my legs. I can do some cool things with my feet. So once all this happened, it was more of a, I know what I have to do because I've done it before. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever took it for granted, but it's, it, I guess it just, it highlights again. Yeah. For sure. Do you think it's something that a lot of fighters do take for granted? Absolutely. No one has a clue. Mm. I think it's, it's martial arts, right? But there's... There's a couple of ways you can look at it, right? You've got your martial artists, you've got your fighters, and you've got your athletes. Um, I think the best of the best has to have all three, but you can get away with a couple. Like you look at an NHL superstar, maybe he's highly competitive and an athlete. Maybe he doesn't have the dog in him, but he can still do very well. You look at some people who go in there and they're like, they're just fighters. Like they can grit things out. Usually they'll get exposed by someone who's like a good martial artist as well as athletic. It is an athlete sport now. It never used to be, but there's a lot of fighter mentality around in that you can go in there and a lot of people just slug. They don't take good care of their bodies and like it'll eventually break down and it comes back to get you. And that's the way we all used to train. So you ram your toes, your top of your foot, everything into people's elbows. Like you think it, you Google like egg in foot Muay Thai, like, and you see some horrific things. Like the amount of times that I've broken toes on elbows and then we never did anything to look after them. That's, that's everywhere. You go to any gym, you'd be like, who here has kicked an elbow? And everyone would be like, yeah. Like, it sucks, it hurts. No one does anything to rehab it, to fix it. Mm. Those problems accumulate, and then suddenly you're in pain, you don't even realize it. Like, you, your feet up, you can walk funny, you can cause an imbalance in the hips, you get back problems, then you get shoulder problems. It could be stemming from that, that base. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely taken for granted. There's, there's a few people that I know who train in places like this who are pretty onto it. But like I've seen a lot of fighters and their feet, yeah, not good. It's something we see with a lot of athletes that we sort of connect with as well. You talk about that athlete mentality of like just improving every, it's, it's all about the, the one percenters, the one percenters yeah. and just improving every little bit that you can. And yet so many athletes that are at the top of their game have completely neglected their feet. And I think with, with you know, mixed martial arts, particularly where you're barefoot, um, you, would, you would think inherently that it's going to be more on the radar, but it, it's surprising. Out that, of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Well, you say that and like out of sight, out of mind, like it's inside because you're barefoot, but it's just maybe ignorance. Yeah. Or taking it for granted. Yeah, as, as we mentioned, like mm. you, there's, yeah. Well, I hope we can spread the word to a few more, but yeah, mate, I, I really appreciate you having a chat. It's been um, gruesome at times, <laughs> intense <laughs> at others, but yeah, I'm just, I'm so stoked to hear that you're on the mend. I mean, what I guess is the last question is, where would you like to get to? Sort of, have you, have you chosen a new dream? Have you, have you reshaped what that future looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before... Before, during, when I was a young man, 16, 17, um, I used to walk down to my, like the martial arts school and I'd always pass the rural fire brigade and I'd always be someone who would loiter in there. And um, anyone that knows me, like knows this is my path now, but I, I would like to be a firefighter. Like one of the ways when I was 23, 24, like dealing with depression and everything, like, you know, 
young man problems, da 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 da, was helping people. That, that was one of my things to make myself feel good. And as I said to you, like there was a point where I just went, I'm going to be the best person I can be. Like, I love competition. I love punching people in the face, and I love getting <laughs> hit. Like that, that's part of my whole life. That's that's my personality. But equal, if not higher, is helping people. I think I've I've got a future to create as well. So like I, like you know, I need to go into the workforce. I can't just be fighting and. The idea of a regular nine to five job just scares the absolute crap out of me. Like it's terrifying. So if I can help some, if I can help people, be a part of the community, work, as I would call it. Like I, I don't want to work, but if that's a job to help people, that's what I want to do. And like I, I need that bit of risk in my life to wake up and feel alive. So being a firefighter is what's next. So that's that's where all my focus is. That's what I'm training for now. It gives me something to to go for. Um, I'm, I'm always going to coach. Um, I've part of the reason why I went overseas was, um, Alex was like, you know, help out with the coaching and whatnot. And that is like, I, I've got a knack for it. I've been coaching like gymnastics since I was 13, 14. I've coached many, many things, outdoor rec guide. So I'll always be a coach as well. And, um, I've just started coaching as well in at Milton, which is to be the MMA lab. So that's, that'll be my next journey over a period of time. But the, um, the end goal will be a firefighter for sure. Cool. Well, if, is there anywhere anyone can connect with you if they want to get coached by you? Is there any, yeah, um, can Insta Instagram is the best place for me. Um, Timbot MMA, T I M B O T MMA. Cool. Uh, yeah, love to connect with everyone. I think social media can be a very powerful tool. I have been off it recently just because I've been trying to ground myself locally and uh, just connect and you know walk the dog and just try to be very Good present. Night. But um, I, I will be back on social media and sort of giving that a go. So anyone that wants to connect with coaching, anyone out there has got any connection for firefighters, I'll be very happy to have a chat, but yeah. Cool, man. Thank you very much. Good, sir. Thanks, brother. That was awesome. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.